Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever on God's green earth you may be. My name is Bonnie and I'd like to welcome you to my podcast, Tea with B. If you're here for the first time or you're returning for the second time, I just want to say thank you. Asante sana. Obrigado. Merci. Taboka. Nyabonga. For taking the time out of your busy day, busy schedules, and joining me on this journey of unorthodox and uncomfortable conversations. But those conversations that we need to have as a community, society, family, friends, and in our digital social circles. Why the name tea with B, you may ask? Well, I absolutely love tea. I have always associated tea with conversation, you see. It reminds me of family, community. It reminds me of those conversations with the matriarchs in my family, ranging from my sisters to my mom, my grandmother. Those talks we had around the kitchen table that ranged from pretty good, filled with laughter and joy, and those conversations that were pretty ugly, that were filled with pain, tears, discipline, and yeah, some whipping. (laughs) But it's those conversations surrounded and around tea that have molded me into the woman that I am today. It's in those moments after a long, tedious day or a glorious, fun night that I sit back with my cup of tea in hand and I reflect about life and its meaning. So for me, tea is liquid wisdom. It represents the fluidity of life. It represents mindfulness, engagement, presence, and surprises. I am so elated to let you into my diverse, flavorful, and enriching world of tea. To learn and grow as we tackle the elephants in the room that we all have. And whilst we do so, I'll be partnering with various tea brands so we can make this tea journey a little bit more fun and flavorful. I'll be sending you all things tea, from teapots to tea infusers, tea samples, from hot brews to cold brews, and also throw in some surprising tea recipes, like my current favorite, which is a winter hottie toddy. And this is a tea drink that is made up of green tea, cinnamon sticks, single malt whiskey. Yes, you heard right, because I love whiskey, too. So, yeah. Sit back wherever you are, or whilst you're working, whilst you're driving, and join me as we go into episode two. Enjoy. So I'm going to take you back to about 10 years, take you way back into time, like backstreet sign. Um, to the time when I moved to Joburg, I was new in Johannesburg, and I had gone to the home affairs to apply for a work permit. Um, and I woke up that morning happy, but I knew I was bracing myself for a very long time, a very long day. Hey, English, it's late guys, please forgive me. (laughs) And, um, yeah, I got to the home affairs and, you know, government offices and everything like that. As expected, there were long queues. And lucky enough, you know, I joined the queue and I was standing behind a lady, you know. She looked about 
six years older than me, but I was just so, my eyes were so fixated on her because she looked so good. She, she looked like something out of a magazine. She just, she was so well put together, you know? And I think she caught me staring at her and she greeted me and we started talking and she's like, oh, what are you here for? And I said, oh, I'm applying for a work permit. And she's like, me too. I'm actually just renewing my permit. And we just started talking, you know, and uh, exchanged, you know, names, introductions. And it turned out that she, like me, was from Zimbabwe, but she had been in South Africa for quite a while. She was an accountant um, and yeah, we spoke about everything from life in, in South Africa, in Joburg, hardships, struggles, uh, where to get our hair done, where to go out to. And she was just, yeah, I thought to myself, hmm, this girl could be a future friend. And turns out we are still friends till this day. I am going to call her Ngobile. I'm going to keep her anonymous, you know, just to respect her. But I know she really doesn't care, but just for her anonymity, I am going to call her Ngobile. And the reason why I'm calling her Ngobile, and for those that don't know or do not understand, uh, Ngobile means one who is victorious. It is a Ndebele word, Ndebele from Zimbabwe. It means uh, like I said, victorious, one who is strong. Um, and yeah, to me, this, this lady that I'm talking about is the epitome of, of strength, of resilience, of tenacity, and just proper boss goals. <laughs> but anyway, um, so we started talking about everything and anything, like I said, and then the subject went on to relationships. She asked me if I was in a relationship at the time. And I said, yeah, I am, you know, um, and she's like, are you married? And I said, no, 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 I'm not married. Um, in a relationship, I'm happy. And you, and she said, oh, you know, I'm divorced. And then she proceeded because this woman, just a bit of background, she was just one of those bubbly, confident, really good looking, well-dressed women. I don't know if I'm painting a picture in your minds, but she was just, she was just, yeah, you know, everything. So I was just like, okay, well, everything to me, you know, beauty is relative. But I was just like, what a young, confident, good looking, smart, you know, high achieving young woman. But anyway, back to my story, she started talking about telling me about her relationship. Oh, you know, she was a, she's a divorcee. And the reason why she had got divorced is because she was in a very abusive marriage, physically, emotionally, mentally, you know, and she then proceeded to tell me that her husband at the time, uh, cheated on her numerous number of times. And she had stayed even though she knew, but she stayed because she was, she, she loved him. She stayed because she was scared of what society would say, what her family would say. And she just really wanted to make her marriage work. But then unfortunately, as time went on, things became so bad that she had no other option but to leave. And I made a comment at that time that changed the course of the conversation. I said to her that, oh my goodness, you know, I'm glad you left eventually because imagine, because this man was cheating on you, imagine if you had left and you had caught diseases, you know? And Mobile then proceeded to start laughing hysterically. And 
Ladies and gentlemen, for those of you that have gone to government offices, especially in South Africa, they will be packed. So we were there crammed in a queue that was not even moving. And this lady was just speaking. Um, basically, she wasn't speaking loud, but everyone could basically hear our conversation, you know. So at that time, she laughed and she says, oh, my gosh, B, you know, it was too late for me. So I said, what are you talking about? What do you mean it was too late for you? And she said to me, well, when I finally left my, ma my marriage, I found out that I was pregnant. And I was like, oh, okay. And she said, I was, it was really a bittersweet male moment for me because we had been trying for a child for so long. And finally I was leaving this pregnancy with that child that I always wanted. And at that time I went to the doctor, usual routine. And for those that don't know, you know, when you're pregnant, you go for mandatory testing to see whether you have got anything that might affect you or your child. And if you do, then they can do, the doctors can give you or do whatever it is to save you guys or help you or whatever it is, right? So anyway, Ngobile then proceeded to tell me that she went for a mandatory testing and lo and behold, something that she was not expecting. She came back, went back to the doctor and she was told that she was HIV positive. For me now, I am pretty calm talking about it but <laughs> you don't understand the moment that you told me this in that queue and everyone in that queue like was staring at us I had so many thoughts in my head first of all I was so shocked and second of all I was like is this woman crazy first of all you do not know me why are you telling me such personal information and why would you even have the guts to say it in public you know but then she was just so happy and confident. And I was like, she really confused me. And not to say that people that are HIV positive or found out they're HIV positive or whatever, or living with HIV, um, are not to be confident and are not to be happy. But I was just so shocked because I had never been, my exposure or my knowledge of HIV, even in terms of conversations uh, within a family context, within the community, were always negative for me growing up. You know, it's either someone had died or there, was n there were never feel-good stories when it came to HIV. So for me, I was kind of taken aback and I was wondering, how is it possible that this woman is so happy, right? And she was, she was just a happy, bright, radiant soul. And then I proceeded to then say, oh man, please ask you a quick personal question. It's like, oh, there are no personals here. I mean, I've, revealed, I've revealed something to you that is pretty personal, so go ahead. And I said, how is it that you're so normal, quote unquote, you know? And she was like, well, um, when I found out that I was pregnant and then I found out that I was HIV positive, I felt like I had two options. It was either I was going to sink or I was going to swim. And then she told me about how hard she had worked to be where she was today. Well, at that time, you know, she had gone to school, she had um, really achieved a lot in her life. And for her, she said she just made the conclusion that it was either this thing was going to control her or she was going to control it. And that was it for her. 
And that is where she left it and said, you know what? I'm going to live my life. I have been blessed with the child that I've always wanted. I'm doing well in my career. I am happy. My relationships are fine with my family. I'm alive. And that's what she took and ran with. And for me, I tell you, it was such a saving grace meeting Mobile at the time because it prepared me for certain situations that I came across in the future with people that I was close to. And I know they're listening to this podcast now. And thank you so much because I consulted with them, you know, before I did this podcast and they know who they are, but they're really people that are really, really close to me. And for me, meeting Mobile was a preparation for, for, for being there as a friend for these people who ended up finding out that they were HIV positive in the future because I was better prepared. I was better um, equipped with knowledge and tools and certain misconceptions had just been wiped out of my head because there was so much that needed unlearning within me and Mobile helped me unlearn and learn again because there were so many myths, so many lies, so many things that I had been told about HIV and AIDS that were not. Episode really is dedicated to anyone and everyone out there who has been affected by HIV and AIDS directly, indirectly. It's dedicated to these friends of mine that I admire you, I admire your strength, your resilience, and thank you for just being a shining beam of light and showing the world that you know what? it's. It, it's not easy, but it can be done. You can live a long, fulfilling life. What I have learned now about HIV, it's as uncomfortable as having an annoying flu or an annoying cold. It does not stop you from getting up and going to work. It does not stop you from traveling the world. It does not stop you from fulfilling your dreams, from launching that business, from starting that podcast. You know, whatever it is that you want to do. I am going to stop talking, right? And introduce you to a young woman. Just to go back, another thing that I've realized about HIV is that there's a lot of stigma towards it and the reason why there's so much stigma is because people are afraid to talk about it it's that elephant in the room but in order to break that stigma down and to eradicate it we have to open in the conversation not open in revealing your status because that is your prerogative it is your choice no one has to be forced to do that but i feel like the more we have these conversations as a community, as families, as friends, we are going to change our perceptions. We're going to break down misconceptions and even mind the way we speak. Back in the day, when we'd be discussing HIV, we would use these really derogatory terms to describe it or talk. And as an adult now, it pains me. My sisters actually know this. It really irks me when I hear people commenting about HIV, certain things that you don't even have facts to. But then we forget that, ladies and gentlemen, when we are saying these negative things and horrible things and really upsetting things in our conversations over dinner, you know, at parties, at churches, at funerals, wherever we may be, among us are people living with HIV. It could be your sibling, it could be your brother, your sister, your father, your mother, your grandmother, your boss, your colleague, you know, you just never know. 
And for as long as you are sexually active, you are at risk if you're not taking necessary precautions. And the truth of the matter is we are all going to die, no? We are going to die, whether you die climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, whether you die and when you're running a marathon or in your sleep or whatever it is, or you get bumped by a car. The fact of the matter is that we're all going to die. But wouldn't it be amazing if we get to a point where our generation dies, because we will, and the next generation and their next generation starts to talk about HIV as that thing that once was. Our kids, kids, kids will be like, oh, back then, you know, there was this uh, thing called HIV. I believe for us to get to that point where people are free to test, people are free to converse, people are free um, and not stigmatized to that point where HIV will no longer exist. But it takes a lot of strength, it takes conversation, and it takes uh, sparking a paradigm shift in your mind and seeing things very, very differently and just being cognizant of the things that you do and the choices that you make in life. Whew, I had said I'm not going to talk a lot, but here I am talking and talking and talking. <laughs> anyway, as I was walking in the digital streets of Twitter, I came across a powerful post. A young lady uh, from South Africa, she was just sharing about how she revealed her status to her brother and how her brother reacted. And that tweet really touched me because her brother's response to her was so loving it was so encouraging and she had been so scared she tweeted this and the responses i was just reading through the responses about how encouraging and fulfilling and life-changing it is that when you're going through something like that and you've got the support of family i tracked her down and we've become whatsapp buddies <laughs> and she's such a sweet young girl hi my name is Kayam dimu I'm 23 years old and I'm a forensic science and technology student at the University of South Africa. I'm 23 years old and I live with HIV. Um, this is my journey. Um, my journey began last year on the 18th of March 2019 when I was raped by one of the powerful men from where I I come from um, it actually happened on my 22nd birthday and I failed to report the matter because I had received some threats from the person and I failed to also report or seek medical help afterwards but I then proceeded to receive it four days later after the incident which resulted in me failing to get PrEP treatment. Um, I was advised to go for counseling several times but I was in a situation whereby I did not feel like I need any interference so I ignored the counseling part. Um, Fast forward to August, I did my first test, my first HIV test. Um, my results were written as, came out as antibodies not detected. And that's when my doctor advised me to retest again after a few months. So, um, 
all along I had kept the thing to myself and I my left my life kept on it went on as if nothing happened and then fast forward to um September November December January that's when I started to feel some sort of symptoms perhaps and my instincts were telling me that I might be HIV positive that's when I started um having the thought like over and over again that what if I am HIV positive and then fast forward to a um February 2020 I I was at a mall actually I was sent to do something at a mall and I came across a testing campaign an HIV testing campaign and suddenly I have this instinct in me that said to me I should test and I immediately followed it I went there and that's when I found out about my results my positive results the following day I went to the clinic for confirmation and indeed they were positive and I started my treatment immediately my advice to someone who would want to test but is afraid is that I was also afraid um, it only took me a long time also to go and test but I feel like I had some sort of acceptance before I could test. My advice is that one should gain some sort of acceptance that if I te- if I test positive then I am going to accept myself. That's one should have. Number two is that um, the sooner the better. The sooner you find out it's for the better and that after um i realized that a lot of people um are also afraid of testing because i i believe that or i realized that um that it was instilled in us that hiv is seen as a death sentence hence people struggle to accept themselves and are afraid to test so i lacked support which is the first thing that made me come out clean to my brother and telling him about my status and him accepting me was the greatest moment of my life ever since i found out about my status and when one is ready to tell them they should and if one is not ready then they should not one doesn't owe anyone an explanation or um the results of their status but when one is ready then one is able to be able to talk about it to receive support and to 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 have that burden to wear off their shoulders i also sort of had a lot of people coming out to me opening up about their status about them being raped and this is an opportunity or rather this i saw this as an opportunity to to raise awareness of 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 rape of hiv of being open about your status because a lot of people are dying inside usually it's not the virus that kills you but it's what you're keeping inside you that eats you up so when one has one to talk to it becomes a lot easier and when one has accepted their status has accepted that there will be rejections and judgmentals then that's where the healing process begins wow that's all i can say (laughs) that is all i can say i went through so many emotions when i was listening uh it also took me back (laughs) there's a lot of stigma and the thought that if you acquire hiv or you know hiv um is that you are promiscuous you've got cases where wives were sitting at home or husbands were sitting at home and this disease was brought to them in the comfort and the luxury of their homes they didn't cheat they were not promiscuous you have cases such as these where someone was raped 
They didn't cheat. They were not promiscuous. <laughs> they didn't ask for it. And then we've got another forgotten group of people. And that is people that are born with HIV. They are a number of young people, especially people like in their early 20s now that were born with HIV. Because at that time, 20 years ago, you know, gosh, no. <laughs> No, I'm getting emotional, but anyway, there are a lot of people who are born with HIV. That's my point. And, you know, when it comes to stigma and thinking that you have people acquire HIV simply because they're promiscuous, that is a myopic way of thinking. You just never know because you're HIV negative today. If you are not taking precaution, if one mistake happens, you could be HIV negative today and six months later, the story has changed. So we need to be sensitive in the way we relate to this thing. Um, I am curious, what do you guys think? Greetings and salibonani. My name is Bonella Pirinkomo and I'm based in Toronto, Canada. My experience with HIV spans nearly four decades. My family has lost four of my siblings to HIV, a sister and three brothers. And as a result of that tremendous loss, I have become a parent to my late siblings' children. While millions of people around the world are infected by HIV, almost all of us are affected by HIV by virtue of the fact that we have family members, colleagues, extended uh, family, and people in the community that we know who are living with HIV or are affected by it. So it is not only a problem for people who are infected, but it is a problem for all of us. Do I think that uh, there's been progress made in terms of HIV and stigma and awareness raising? Yes, certainly. However, a lot more needs to be done. I was a speaker for the Stephen Lewis Foundation in the Greater Toronto and York Region area for a number of years, and we were effectively able to raise over a million dollars to support the Stephen Lewis Foundation projects in Africa. It was blatantly clear that when we raised awareness, we were able to motivate and inspire people into action, whether we spoke to a school assembly, a service club, a church group, or any other group that was willing to listen to us. So awareness raising is critical, is key, and has proven that it can raise people, inspire them to action. Umuntu, ngumuntu, ngabantu. Thank you. Hi, my name is Liqua Gabella and I'm from Leicester. And I definitely think that stigma is the reason why people with STIs, HIV or STDs don't share it with anyone because they could simply be judged by people for something they can't control especially if they have something like hiv that can't be cured and in my opinion if i did have a std i would tell my partner simply because it could affect her in so many ways in life and you know it could be an sti or std that could stop her from having kids so i think it's a very important thing to share with a person if you do have something like that because it could be life-changing Stigma against HIV still goes on strong, even after a decade or I think two decades since 
they've been told don't you know guys this is how you contract AIDS, ABC and all that people still assume because you've got HIV it means you went into hold around you are a whore I mean how else can you get HIV whereas there are people who've been who were born with HIV because the parent was um, the mother was HIV positive and there are people who were raped and then there are people who are given by their life partners this disease. So Mina is somebody who's been affected and infected with this disease. I feel like I cannot come out to people and be like, okay guys, this is me, I am positive. Because the moment I tell them, people look at me in a different way. I hear the comments that are even in my workplace. The comments that are just thrown around. It's like, yeah, no, it helps. Yo, because really HIV, yo, AIDS, you know, people make it, they talk lights about this thing. And then you get people who say, well, mm -mm, if you lose too much weight, people think you're HIV. Hell, what? HIV positive, I mean. But hell, what if I want to just lose weight just for losing weight? So now I can't lose weight because people assume I'm positive. Um, I can't just cough. People assume I'm positive. I can't have a cold so people think helps because HIV. Yeah, one the thing. The stigma is still there and I don't know how hard we can try and cut it or reduce it even though is many many people are now well informed about this disease but still people cannot come to terms with it or cannot accept it what is part of us we talk about cancer asthma diabetes as if it's a normal disease the city is called diabetes it's okay you know like ah you know whatever but again hiv is still the same thing if maybe you can normalize that disease, people will stop um, having stigma again about it and then, I don't know, maybe then there needs to be more education around the disease. Or what is there are many ways of contracting it or contacting it instead of just basic whoring around. Hi Bonnie, this is Enoch from Melbourne, Australia. Great topic for your podcast. I think HIV AIDS is still a very fundamental topic for discussion in our communities. Uh, unfortunately, it seems as though in some instances it's falling off the wayside. Uh, I remember the 90s, the late 90s, early 2000s, it, um, the plight of HIV AIDS had reached a peak that could not be ignored, a national epidemic or a regional pandemic actually and I'm happy that since then there has been a lot of work done uh, in terms of uh, fighting the virus uh, we've got uh, new uh, powerful drugs uh, more access to drugs and fighting the virus itself I think a lot of work has been done but needs to be done in terms of fighting the stigma I also believe that uh, it's it's also just as important in fighting the stigma as much as also ensuring that we are being responsible for one another, being responsible for ourselves and, you know, all just taking care of one another out there. So I'm interested to hear what everyone else um, has to say. G'day, my name is Kazai Ndoro based in Toronto. These days I'm seeing a great number of people that are going to get tested. Within that great number of people going to get tested, they're getting different results, positive and negative. 
the ones that are getting positive results, there's a fair number of people that are not sharing the results with the people that they're sleeping with or their peers. This is because of the stigma related to HIV. Then, that even makes the people that haven't even gone to, to get tested to not want to go and t- like get tested because of the fear of the outcome. So we need to work against this. And we need to get to a point where we need to educate ourselves to know that you can be, you can still choose to be with someone that is affected and you won't be affected. I know people that are staying with people that are HIV positive, but they're negative. And I'm talking about a relationship. But it all comes from the person that's affected being transparent to their partner, which I think is the best thing to do. The people that are affected right now are, are, you know, they fear to come out because they're affected, you know, in terms of their emotional well-being, in terms of their mental health. This is exposing what I could say the biggest secret. So how could they come out? So we need to promote awareness to stop the stigma. Thank you very much. Hi, my name is Rilani and I live in Toronto. What are my thoughts on HIV and AIDS and the stigma? Well, coming from Zimbabwe and having, um, being a young person during uh, the AIDS pandemic, when it started initially, I do remember vividly how stigmatized people were. And I do remember actually the first um, known case or incident was televised on TV. And I think at that time I was probably nine or 10. Another thing that had me wonder about um, how HIV and AIDS would be ever, ever, um, I guess the problem solved, the stigma problem solved uh, when I was a child was I, I assumed that education, because we were fortunate during our school years, they taught us exactly what were the causes of AIDS, how it was communicable, and how you could keep yourself safe. And that alleviated some of the stigma, at least made me grow up without it because I received that education. The same wasn't the same. Well, it can't be said to adults who were around me because they were still stigmatizing people who had HIV and AIDS. Um, I last got tested when I was pregnant with my son, so that was a long time ago. And HIV is ripped through my family. My own uncle and aunts, I've had several relatives pass away from HIV and AIDS. Um, for the future, I thank God there's, there's medicine and I thank God people are getting tested and I thank God there's still hope for people to live with HIV. My name is Dr. Noni. I'm a medical doctor and a public health specialist focusing mainly on sexual reproductive health and I love to talk about sexual reproductive health because uh, a lot of the disease patterns in Africa, sub-Saharan Africa especially, are related to sexual reproductive health like HIV and AIDS for example and I love talking about this because <clears throat> the narrative needs to change in Africa. Talking about sex and sexuality is not culturally acceptable, but in terms of changing the patterns of disease here, this is a discussion that we we need to start having. The culture has to change, um, and we need to do that fast. Regarding stigma, I think it still plays a very big role, um, but evidence shows that stigma is more reported among people living with HIV who know their status. So 65% of people living with HIV have reported to experience stigma in one form or another. So these, the, the difference is that these people know their status already. 
in terms of people who don't know their status it's not documented but i would imagine that it is um, a problem and i think that's probably more to do with self-stigma than public stigma there are different types of stigma there's what's known as self-stigma which is your own internal fears and perceptions negative attitudes there is also what is known as public stigma which is what i was referring to that's when people know your status when you that they know that you're living with hiv that's how the public relates to you or rather um an attitude of belief because stigma is an attitude of belief whereas discrimination is an active stigma or a behavior that you see so public stigma is how people's attitudes or beliefs to you towards you when they know your status and there's also what's called so structural stigma so regarding um testing if i don't know my status it's likely to be internalized or self-stigma my own fears uh, my own perceptions my own negative attitudes around being tested and a positive and a possible positive outcome so yes i do believe it can influence um hiv testing Wow, thank you for that, Dr. Noni. It's so fascinating that I have always associated stigma with external forces. I've never actually sat down and thought it could be internal. Like you can actually have internal stigma that stops you from getting tested, that um, makes you treat other people, including yourself, in a way that's limiting. And it's absolutely mind-blowing. But anyway, to continue with the conversation, here's the next person. My name is Ella, um, known as Moyendizu or Mamoyo on social media platforms, and I live in the UK. Now, my thoughts on HIV and AIDS um, with regards to stigma. I think we have a long way to go. There are a lot of irrational and negative attitudes and behaviors and as well as judgment towards people living with HIV. And I think that's sad because it causes a lot of internalized stigma whereby a person with HIV experiences negative feelings or thoughts about themselves due to their status. I think we can change this by standing up to stigma. So talking openly about HIV and stigma like you're doing yourself and choosing supportive language that's not stigmatizing so for example when you're using the word AIDS in reference to HIV the preferred word or phrase should be HIV or HIV and AIDS when referring to both um, the reason I say that is because AIDS itself is not a condition it's actually a range of conditions a very wide range of conditions um, that occurs when a person's immune system is weakened by the HIV infection I think that you know for example instead of saying to catch AIDS or to catch HIV to pass on HIV use phrases like to be diagnosed with HIV to acquire HIV, to transmit HIV. Learn to talk about HIV in a way that's not stigmatizing. Um, I do get tested often because I donate blood regularly, so I am HIV negative. However, I have been affected by the virus because I've had very close family members passing away from, from AIDS. Um, and so it does affect families. But like I say, if we learn to talk about the virus and if we learn to just educate each other, 
the stigma surrounding the virus itself is going to go down, especially in our African communities. We still need to do quite a bit of work when it comes to educating one another. I think there has been progress, definitely. You know, we're way more um, forward in thinking than we were, say, 10 years ago. However, more work needs to be done. Greetings, greetings from the beautiful continent of Africa. So my experience or exposure to HIV is from a very young age. Um, my granddad's sister's children were completely wiped out by it. She had about seven. Every single one of them, I kid you not, was taken by the virus. Um, at the time she was widowed and now, I mean, look, there is no reference to a mom who loses a child because it is often expected that children will go before their parents do. But if there was, that's what would describe my grandmother who is now still living in the rural areas as we call it, um, the side of Africa, and is without any of her children, but she's still very much linked to the family so she isn't a biological grandmother she married into our family and um, still very much involved to this day but there have been devastating losses due to the virus that i experienced from a very young age and i had the unfortunate um oh, i don't even know how to call it i had the unfortunate experience of viewing one of my aunts i had no idea what had taken her and at the time i wasn't aware either i was told much later but yeah it's very personal it's very close to home i i'm very tentative about whether i feel hiv awareness is at the level it should be right now COVID 19 has taken over and is receiving far more than I believe should be targeted at HIV. Um, simply due to the fact that, yes, it's a pandemic, but this has been a pandemic, just not getting the attention, the right focus. Um, yeah, I have gone over my allocated time. Thank you for listening to me. And I look forward to engaging off the subject further. Hi, Bonnie. This is Pumtile and I'm from South Africa. My HIV and AIDS experience began when I was in grade school, I think in the early 2000s, because that was when I first came to know of HIV and AIDS and that was through the South African television screen. That was also the golden era for South African television because we were booming local um, content and much of it was centered around the topic of HIV and AIDS. I mean, Chacha, Intersections, Soul City, Soul Buddies, and I could go on and on, but all of it was popular. So there were eyes, and therefore there was a lot of awareness. Um, but much of that died, and we lost momentum. But the numbers didn't. We have the highest rates of gender-based violence in the world, and we have the highest rates of HIV and AIDS in the world. I think we're currently sitting at 7 million people in South Africa living with HIV and AIDS. And in light of that context, my personal, personal experience is that um, the first time I had sex, I was raped. And the second time I had sex, I had to negotiate a condom. Privileged enough in that I get to have access to information, particularly regarding um, sexual and reproductive health, and I have community um, to share that information. So I was able to get assistance, um, prep, 
was able to get tested and I came out alright. I'm lucky enough to say I came out alright. Um, I'm HIV negative but I still get tested three times a year. In the beginning, in the middle of the year and at the end of the year. I'm hypochondriac so I'm sensitive about my health whether I'm sexually active or not. Uh, I still get tested um, and I'm not sexually active and I tend to think to myself uh, should I still go get tested but I do because I also think that it's just good healthy practice anyway but yeah that's my story and thank you so much for opening uh, the lines of communication and for bringing this topic forward I really appreciate it thank you so much HIV AIDS. For those of us you know, that grew up in Africa, AIDS was a scourge. It was the bane of our existence then, especially, you know, growing up as a teenager in the 90s and early noughties or in the noughties. It was something that we were all aware of. I mean, it was, it was almost similar to the COVID a pandemic now it was that real it's something that we were all very conscious of it was something that lived with us i mean i first personally became aware of, of aids when you know um, a member of the nwa eze when he passed away from complications arising from you know the hiv the aids virus in him we grew up listening to nwa or rap generally and you know having one of them pass away from the scourge of aids or from the you know complications of aids was quite um i mean it was the wake-up call and then subsequently magic johnson came out that he also johnson also came out saying he was hiv positive and then of course closer to home in nigeria one of the greatest musician ever from nigeria um fella okuti um also passed away from complications of AIDS. So we all grew up, you know, knowing that AIDS was real. The way we wear a mask now, we were, you know, advised to always use protection if we're going to engage in coitus. And it was quite... Um, so something we lived with, you know, having coming to age in the late 90s, mid to late 90s, where you were engaging in coitus, you know, it was something that you always had to, I mean, you, you could never see it on anyone's face. That was back, I remember, I'll never forget in Nigeria, there, that was one of the adverts on, um, sorry, one of the television commercials they used to do on the, like an AIDS, AIDS awareness, like to send, to send, synthesize the people about the AIDS um, scourge, was well, to say that you never know who, who is HIV positive because people on the outside are HIV positive. They look well. They look good. I mean, Ma Magic Johnson was one of such. It's not everyone that would be gaunt or, you know, emaciated, you know, skinny, sickly looking. No, you have perfectly healthy people who were HIV positive. So, we're always advised never take it on face value. Always be prepared. And a lot of us try to live by that ethos. Knew anyone personally that was HIV positive? If they were, they probably never say because, you know, there was that um, stigma that was associated with being HIV positive. But I never knew anyone. And luckily for me, I, I was never, I was not HIV positive. So, but it's something that was real. We hear people, we hear stories. And it's something that we were always conscious of and we try to protect ourselves from, you know, catching. So, yes, the HIV scourge is um, was real, was really shaped the way we shaped our social life. And I think it shaped it for the best because, you know, of course, by the time you start using protection for coitus, apart from preventing from HIV, STDs, it also prevents, you know, unwanted pregnancies. So, self and, you know, yes. So, anyway, that's my take. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much to everyone who sent in their thoughts and opinions. Uh, really, really appreciate it.
that. There's a saying that goes in Debele, my language, and it goes, Ugufunda Agupeli. And it translates to learning never ends. And in this journey of researching and just learning about HIV and AIDS, I realized how much I don't know. Personally, I did not know. That I thought I knew, but I did not know. And in my journey and having discussions with my peers, with uh, friends, with really, really smart, intelligent people, whether it's academics or professionals or industry captains, just conversing about HIV AIDS, it dawned on me how much we don't know and how much we need to know, how much information we need to know. We don't know terms like U equals U. We don't know about PrEP. We don't know about PEP. And yet this information living in this day and age right now is information that is so vital because it could save someone's life. And yeah, I'm not a medical professional. I don't have a medical degree. I'm not a doctor. I am just one person and I'm like so passionate about the subject. I realized that, you know what, I need to, to rope in experts, which is why you heard from Dr. Noni earlier. Thank you so much, Dr. Noni. And um, just now you're going to hear from another doctor who's going to explain these really, really important terms to you that if you don't know, now you know, and therefore please go out there and spread the word. We will save lives and we will change lives. Hi, my name is Dr. Cindy Sivifansel. I'm a GP with a special interest in HIV. Post-exposure prophylaxis is antiretroviral treatment that is taken for 28 days after you've been potentially exposed to HIV. So to get PEP, you must test negative for HIV and you must also access it within 72 hours of the potential exposure. So potential exposure could be due to a needle stick injury, it could be due to a burst condom or condomless sex, um, it could be due to sexual assault, whatever the case is, you need to take it within 72 hours of the exposure. It is, um, we give three antiretroviral drugs and you take those for 28 days, once a day for 28 days until the course is finished. Once the course is finished, we'll test you again for HIV. And if that HIV test comes back negative, then you are negative. PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. So PrEP is HIV treatment that we give you to protect you from contracting HIV. It is a two-in-one tablet. It is taken once a day and it is also given to people who are HIV negative. So if you're HIV positive, you can't take PrEP. PrEP is taken for as long as you feel that you are um, at risk of HIV infection. And um, you know, one of the things you have to commit to is to coming in for blood tests every four to six months. I, I ask my patients to come in every four months and we check the liver function, we check the kidney function, and we also check that you're still HIV negative. So PrEP is good to take, it works. It is about 99% effective in protecting you from HIV infection. So I recommend PrEP for many people. Um, it is easy to take, it's got minimal side effects, and it works. So PrEP and um, PEP are available from health facilities. Um, I'll speak for South Africa. Um, PEP, post-exposure prophylaxis, is available at almost all facilities, but PrEP is not yet available at all facilities. In the private sector, PEP and PrEP are available from most medical doctors. 
U equals U stands for undetectable equals untransmittable. So when someone is HIV positive, the virus infects their CD4 cells. The CD4 cells are the most important cells in your immune system. The virus uses these cells to make copies of itself. And these copies, these HIV copies, are what we call the viral load. So if you're HIV positive and you're not on treatment, the virus goes around your body and you know uses the CD4 cells to make copies of itself and it kills the cells in the process. So as time goes on, your CD4 count comes down, the amount of HIV in your blood, the viral load goes up, you get sick, your immune system gets weaker, and then eventually you die. But if you're HIV positive and you're on treatment, what the treatment does is that it's it stops the virus from using the CD4 cells to make copies of itself. So it doesn't, it doesn't get rid of the virus. We haven't found a cure for HIV as yet. But what treatment does is that it, it, it halts this process of HIV multiplication. So as a medical doctor, how do I know that you're taking your medication? Because yes, I can ask you and you can say you are, but maybe you aren't. If I do a blood test called a viral load, that test will tell me if you're taking your medication or not. And how does it tell me that? When the results of the viral load come back, it will say that HIV copies undetectable, meaning that when that sample of blood was analyzed and they looked to see if there are any HIV copies in your system, they couldn't find any. They were undetectable. And that is the aim of taking HIV treatment. We want to make sure that the virus is not making any copies in your blood. So undetectable also means that you can't transmit the virus to anybody. If your viral load is undetectable, there is no virus in your system to, to infect the next person. So undetectable equals untransmittable. That is what U equals U stands for. Undetectable equals untransmittable. If you're HIV positive and you're taking your HIV treatment properly and your viral load is undetectable, you cannot transmit HIV to anyone else, even if you have condomless sexual intercourse. Zero different couples are able to conceive naturally um, because we now know that U equals U. So if the positive partner is on HIV treatment and is taking the treatment properly and the viral load, the number of HIV copies in the blood is undetectable, then we know for a fact that that partner can't infect their negative partner. And this is how stereo-different couples are now able to have condomless sexual intercourse and conceive naturally. So it's important for us to understand U equals U. It's important for us to share this great news because it really has revolutionized our understanding of HIV. So I couldn't help but thinking as Dr. Cindy was speaking about PrEP and PEP, just people's various sexual encounters and you listening now might relate being in a relationship and starting off using condoms not getting tested and then things happen and you start having unprotected sex and you continue but in the back of your mind you are thinking about your status the person that you're sleeping with with status and wondering what their status is and just never knowing and going with the flow yet you've got this lingering thought in the back of your mind or let's say it's a one night stand or whatever it is really but i'm sure many of you can relate or maybe it's 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 it's, it's a bad assumption to say many but i definitely guarantee that there are people out there listening who've been in these situations where 
things just happened or they knowingly went in and had unprotected sex and then afterwards without thinking about the ramifications or the you know the effects or after effects or whatever right and then as soon as it's done when they're home alone they start thinking oh my gosh what if this person's got an std what if this person's got an sti and what <laughs> i find funny is that there are still people today 2021 that are have been in these situations this morning this afternoon yesterday and simple knowledge like knowing where to access medications such as prep can be life-changing and can save your life and can save the life of someone else so I, I just find it so interesting and I'm just praying that and hoping rather that you are going to share and share this knowledge because it is so so vital and I thought I would go out there and find people that have actually ex experienced this like Pumzile and Lolo shared earlier on that they were victims of rape and unfortunately for Lolo she didn't get access to PEP which is a post exposure prophylaxis and whilst Pumzile on the other hand was raped but she got access to PEP so and look at the difference one ended up HIV positive and the other ended up HIV negative so imagine if uh, for example, Lolo had access to this information or, or access at the time, but because of what she went through at the time, sadly, go and get um, help in time. Yeah, at least we got to hear their experiences. So I went out and looked for people that are actually on PrEP. So, yeah. Hello, my name is Frank Malaba and I am in Cape Town, originally from Zimbabwe. I am a gay man and I would like to talk to you about PrEP. PEP. I'm going to explain all those things, but uh, the most important thing that uh, you should know is that these things are accessible and uh, in most countries they are free. In some countries you pay a minimal amount or your um, health insurance can cover that. So the first one is PrEP and PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. And uh, that is usually written as a capital P, small r, capital E, and capital P. And uh, that you, you go on before you have the virus or if you're HIV negative. So um, I'm currently on PrEP. And what I had to do was I had to go to the clinic, state to them that I wanted to go on to PrEP. And they did two tests. And the first test was an HIV test, and the second one was a syphilis test, which took all about five minutes. And the other thing that they do on your first uh, trip to the men's clinic is they get a test tube of blood so they can get, ch check your blood for kidney, um, for kidney function and if you've got any problems with your kidneys. And they usually get those results back in two days. And uh, with us here in South Africa, what happens is you usually leave with your little bottle with your prep and you start on the day that you receive it. And if you're not um, if you're not in a position to be taking it because your kidneys aren't good enough, you will be taken off it within the first three days of you starting, which isn't too much of a problem. And um, so you take that tablet, it's essentially an ARV tablet that you take that prevents you from ever catching the virus. And uh, that is, has been like an incredible um, breakthrough for gay people uh, because <laughs> I guess they became the guinea pigs for this project. 
um, but anybody can pretty much use it. Um, a doctor can recommend it if you ask, or um, or you can actually just do a bit more research to see if it's something that you'd like to be on. The second thing that I'd like to talk about is PEP, which is also a tablet that you take um, daily, but that is post-exposure prophylaxis. So PEP stands for post-exposure prophylaxis. And that will happen if you think that uh, you got into contact with HIV or you think that you have cut yourself with a blade or an, used a needle that somebody who had HIV had or if you've been raped, God forbid. But uh, those are the conditions in which mostly PEP will be used. I've also been on PEP and that happened because I was with somebody and the condom broke and I had to go within the first 72 hours of that happening. So you've got a 72 hour window in which you can go onto PEP or it doesn't work at all. So uh, I went on that and um, I was fine. I didn't know if the person was HIV positive or not, but it was somebody that I didn't know very well and I didn't want to take the risk. So I went for a month, 30 days of taking it and um, fine, no side effects. Uh, if it had been seven to ten years ago, it would have been a big, um, you know, headache because I'd have had a lot of side effects. I'd have um, been nauseous. I'd have not felt well at all. But when I went onto this PEP, it was perfect for me. So um, that's um, that's all I have to say today. And I do hope that I do come back and I chat with you some more on this wonderful podcast. Thank you for having me. Hi, my name is Kudakwashi. I live in Canada and my relationship with HIV and AIDS has been one of extreme fear. That might be a good thing and maybe the only reason I'm alive to have this discussion. My mom, being a Christian, started and ended this conversation with abstain, abstain, abstain. It's a sin. Even worse, she said masturbation was a sin. Of course, I didn't listen to that part of it. Masturbation to me was the safest sex that anyone could ever have. And besides, I'd already started doing it since I was eight. These conversation started at about 10 I think with my mom so it was already too late. I did however abstain from sex till maybe I was 18. The desire grew much bigger than the fear of death itself. So at that point I committed the ultimate sin I guess and I couldn't stop myself any longer but fortunately my grandmother did advise me on safe sex. She talked to me about condoms. She told me it's simple you can have sex with as many girls as you want as long as you use, you use a condom or a plastic as she called it. If you choose not to use a plastic then your first encounter could be your last encounter. But but uh, looking back, we would have girls line up and would give them oral sex. We were taught this by a friend that was same age as us. You may have seen his parents doing the same thing and we just did it too. In essence, we were putting ourselves at risk. We just didn't know it. I am now a father of three and I talk to my kids pretty much about anything and everything. I don't want them learning stuff from people that may not be as informed or people that don't necessarily have their best interests. The problem is I found myself spreading the same message of fear to my kids that they will die if they have sex, which may not be a healthy the experience because sex is supposed to be something you can enjoy and besides things have changed since the days of my childhood I have recently learned that uh, in addition to condoms HIV can be prevented by a pill a pill that should be taken daily they call it PrEP here in Canada it's free you just need to get tested every three months and the reason is PrEP is a pill or a drug that uh, prevents HIV it does not prevent other STDs so they have to check and make sure you don't have the other STDs and go around spreading and getting other people sick recently I was having a conversation 
conversation with my mom. Uh, it was when I just discovered that there was a drug called PrEP. So uh, I was talking to my mom and telling her how amazing this drug is and how we can prevent people from getting HIV. And uh, uh, she pretty much hung up the phone because, you know, <laughs> after she gave me peace of her mind, firstly, that uh, you're married, so you should not be uh, even looking at things like this. Uh, and I tried to explain to her that even as a married person, you may have, say, other encounters. You may even, say, have a threesome, for example. And having a drug like this would come in really handy because it reduces the chances of uh, getting an infection. But of course, she was not willing to to listen to that. But uh, I think that for us to add uh, to, to end stigma as far as uh, HIV and AIDS goals, I think that there should also be an end to stigma towards conversations surrounding sex and sexuality. With conversations like this, so I'm really thankful that uh, uh, you have the guts to have this conversation that many people shy away from. Like what you are doing here is an important step in uh, fighting the stigma against HIV and AIDS. Just having this discussion and talking about it and being open about it. The last time I got tested was probably about two months ago and I recommend everybody to get tested or at least have a yearly medical. Um, just get everything checked out and make sure everything is fine uh, for your own good and the good of everyone else. So to conclude today's podcast, I would like to draw from some of the things I heard today. We live in a completely interdependent world, which simply means we cannot escape each other. How we respond to HIV AIDS depends in part on whether we understand this interdependence. It's not someone else's problem. This is everybody's problem. I applaud people like Kodakwashi, who spoke earlier about having a conversation or trying to have a conversation with his mom about PrEP and she hung up. But it's just sparking such conversations that can bring forth change and bring a paradigm shift in people's minds. Because I'm sure wherever his mom was, she started thinking about what he was saying and what on earth is my son talking about? And also having those uncomfortable conversations, like Dr. Noni said, around sexuality. We live in an era where people are becoming more sexually liberated, whether you're from a conservative country, in quotes like mine, Zimbabwe, uh, whether you are Muslim, whether you're Christian, you're Jewish. We live in an era where people are becoming sexually liberated, but it's also hard for a certain demographic, people of a certain age to have these really raw and unfiltered conversations. But as we've seen, we need to have these conversations. And as much as we're facing a global pandemic right now, one of the things that's on Maslow's hierarchy of needs is sex. And sex is not a want, it is a need for many people. Because not only do we use it for pleasure, we use it for procreation. And therefore, amidst a pandemic, people are still having sex. Whether it's protected, whether it's unprotected, whether it's with multiple partners or one partner, we do not know. Whether it's with the same sex, whether it's a different type of sex, we just never know. But the hope of this podcast or this episode rather is whilst we are out there fighting the many battles that we face on a daily basis that at least we're equipped and we're empowered with knowledge that should we get into a situation like Lolo did when she got raped we have access to knowledge and we have access to know where we can get medication that can help us not acquire HIV or should it be like Lolo again 
that we are found in situations where we are raped or maybe we're not raped but we had consensual sex and we found out that we are HIV positive may we have the knowledge to know that we have every resource available to us so that we can live a long and fulfilling life that we can get our medication that we can get our viral load down to a point where it's undetectable and therefore it means it's untransmittable like dr cindy shared and yeah i just feel like going into a 2021 and i'm also preaching to the choir i'm preaching to myself because i'm at an age where i want to start having children i want to eventually settle down i want to have a life partner and these are hard hitting conversations that we'll have to have about sexual history about sexual sexual patterns, about sexual preferences. It's important because the truth of the matter is that a lot of people are stigmatized. There are people who are living with HIV that are afraid to come out or to get into relationships with HIV negative people because they feel like they will not get acceptance. You know, that internal stigma that we spoke about. But, um, you know, it's important that we start changing the way we talk. Ella shared earlier that it's important that we start changing the way we talk, the words that we talk. It's not um, catching HIV, it's transmitting HIV. It's uh, And that there's a difference between HIV and AIDS. Totally, <laughs> totally, totally different. And yeah, young men like Lee Kwa who spoke earlier, and he just spoke about the openness of sharing your status with your partner should you have an sti should you have an std as hard as it is but yeah i am talking and talking again i just want to say thank you to you for listening first of all um everyone who contributed may you share this podcast may you subscribe may you leave feedback may you tell me your thoughts because the only way this podcast will grow and improve is with your feedback which i appreciate so much send me a message and if you want access to resources i'm going to drop links on my social media that you can follow yeah let's keep this conversation going but last but not least i'd like to give a big shout out to silent Ngo, an artist out of zimbabwe great guitarist who created the soundtrack for this podcast he just came through and he totally understood <laughs> what i wanted and i'm so grateful to you Ngo. so just thank you thank you i sign off uh, I remember I mentioned that there's a generation of young people that were born with HIV and to end off this podcast I'm going to play a song by a group of young people who were born HIV positive and they redid a song from The Greatest Showman and thank you Dr. Noni for plugging me and uh, linking me up to their amazing music so here it goes. Oh, and I must add, these young people are a living, surviving, and thriving. <laughs> Enjoy.
hide away, they say, cause we don't want your broken past. Broken Learn to be ashamed of all my scars. Run away, they say, no one will love you as you are. But Cut me down